part of the media ministry of Cornerstone Church. You can listen to this and other messages on our website at www.corner-stone.org or by subscribing to our podcast. Good morning, Cornerstone. Good to see you this morning. Glad that you're here. Now, this is my first time with family worship, and I've been warned that anything could happen this morning. And that's good. So I realize, I do notice that all the ones with the really small children are sitting in the back. And, you know, the quick exit that can be made there. And so, uh, but, you know, if you think back to the New Testament church, don't you think it looked pretty much like this? You know, I don't know that they had a nursery that they just simply, you know, put everybody over here or the teens went to this section. I'm pretty sure that in that New Testament church that as they were adding families, they were sitting together. And I'll tell you this, as much as I love the Jeffs and and all these other ones that that will uh, uh, teach our children and, and guide them, I promise you there is no greater impression that will ever be made on the lives of your children and the mind of your children than when they see mom or dad worshiping God authentically and just being who they are in Christ before God. And so uh, today we have that opportunity to kind of enjoy that a little bit. We've been in a series about discerning truth in a very deceptive world. And I don't have to tell you as parents or grandparents, you know, how relevant that is to, to our lives today. And we're going to go to the third part of this. Each week we're kind of building another step. Uh, some of you might think, well, Bobby, you know, it's been kind of slower, methodical. Uh, it's, that's purposeful. We really want to get grounded in where do we find truth in God's word and, you know, how do we kind of build this? Not so much to make a formula out of our life with God, but just to have that ability to be able to truly teach our children and leave to our grandchildren what it says in the Bible. It says uh, a great man will leave an inheritance to his children's children. In other words, that our faith, not just the monetary part, but our faith and who we uh, put our trust in is really handed down for the generations. So I want you to do this. You can go ahead and open up your Bibles to Genesis chapter 3. Genesis in the Old Testament. Uh, If you... Uh, kind of unfamiliar with the Bible, it's going to be at the very, very beginning. It's the very first book, Genesis chapter 3 this morning, as we talk about discerning truth. Now, we live in this world of information, and uh, I don't have to tell you again that there is more information out there available to your children than Albert Einstein had in his entire lifetime. They can access more information in a moment from their phone, from their hand, at their fingertips, than Albert Einstein could relate to and, and, and acquire in his entire lifetime. That's the world of information that we live in. Uh, I found this on the Internet, and so it has to be true. And, uh, you know, of just kind of the, the, some of the latest stats that are there, uh, every minute, every minute of every day, there's an average of over 3,400 Pinterest pins. You know, so people are in there doing that. Uh, over 27,000, or I'm sorry, 277,000 tweets. People are tweeting back and forth on Twitter and kind of exchanging information that way. Uh, Google searches. Every minute, 4 million, over 4 million Google searches every minute of every day. And uh, emails. If you didn't see it in here, I wonder what you would have guessed as far as, you know, how many emails are sent. But every minute, on average... Over 204 million every minute. Folks, this is the age that we live in. And and as we have grown older, we've adapted to it. But this is the children that you're, or this is the world that your children are immersed in. It's really kind of amazing. Uh, One of the things that I thought was interesting, because at first a question at the very bottom there talks about how Amazon makes $83,000 every minute. I was going, you know, that seems kind of low until I did the math. 
Do you realize that Amazon makes over $115 million every day? If you just do the simple math and multiply that 83000 out, over $115 million every day. That's the world that we live in. More information out there at your children's fingertips than Albert Einstein could acquire in his entire lifetime. And, and so one of the things that your children, your grandchildren don't need, folks, is more information. What they deeply need, what they really need, is discernment of how to acquire this information, how to discern what is truth and what, what is true and, and, and what is false. And so this morning, I want to do a little experiment, since it is family worship time. I know that many parents, you said, put up your phone if your kids do have a phone. But are, are there any of our kids here today that have their phone with them? Okay, Q, come on up. Okay. Radley, do you have your phone with you? Okay. I want Q over here, Radley, you over here. And, and I've, I've got three questions. And wait, you can go ahead and get your phone out. And I want to see which one of you can come up with the right answer first. Okay. So kind of mano to mano here, you know, the young, fresh mind to the, well, whatever. Yeah. <laughs> okay. Wait till I complete the question and then, okay, almost like the old Wild West. Okay. You're just going to draw and find information. Okay. First one, how many inches are in a mile? How many inches are there in a mile? Okay. I've heard other excuses that were better than that, Randley. <laughs> How many inches in a mile? Anybody? Yeah. What do you got? Uh, Sixty feet, thousand. 360 inches. That's right. Okay, you got it right. Okay, so Q1, Bradley, zero. Okay. <laughs> okay, number two, number two. How high is Mount Everest? How high is Mount Everest? Okay, very good. 29,029 feet. So one to one, okay? I, I don't know about asking Siri as the, the ultimate purveyor of truth, but, but, it, but it, it, it counted this time, okay? Now here's the tiebreaker. Here's the tiebreaker. How many countries are there in the world? How many countries in the world? A creature of habit there, Radley. Huh? 196. 196. Did you did you have any other answer there? Yeah, I'm kind of surprised you you did great, Q. But Dad, because I, of, you know, <laughs> I didn't know how to use Siri. That's okay. That's okay. Y'all can be seated. Uh, uh, if you look that up, and if you had your phone out, or if you went to your computer, folks, you might find that there's either 194, 195, or 196. You know why? Because, like, for example, you know, the, uh, even though there's 196 that have been identified, like the United States, for example, only counts 195. Why? Because of political persuasion. They don't count Taiwan because they don't want to offend China. 
And so all of a sudden you've got, is there a definite answer there? Is there really one definite answer that is always going to be true? To this question, there's not. Because all of a sudden your own thoughts, your own beliefs, your own kind of understanding comes into question of how you're going to answer that question. Now, this is the world that your children and your grandchildren are growing up in, where there's definite truth in some things, but then others are just left to opinions and personal beliefs. And so this morning, we want to go back to God's word. And how do we teach our children and grandchildren to discern what is really true? Do they just simply go to Siri and say, how do I live my life? Do we live it up to to kind of the technology to figure out how we navigate life and how we do life? See, the need for information, folks, is not really there. They got more information at their fingertips, and you do too, than, than they can access. But what they need is discernment. And that's where we go to God's Word. Uh, If you've been with us the last two weeks, the first week we really looked at how, if if we're going to see discerning truth, we have to define truth. And we define truth as God's Word, that God's Word we can believe, we can trust, it is infallible, it is what we can sink our teeth into. Even when our emotions, remember we said that even when our head and our heart may lead us a different way, our emotions and our own logic may lead us in a different direction, that we come back to God's truth and it always guides us in the right way. For example, we looked at forgiveness. Forgiveness, we're going, I'm not going to forgive that person. Why? Because they haven't said they're sorry, they haven't made restitution. And yet God's word says, forgive as you've been forgiven. So God's word is always going to steer our heart and our mind back to truth, even when our own mind and our own heart is going in a different direction. And so that was the first week. We, we looked at 2 Timothy 3.16, and it said that God's Word has really four intentions. We're not going to go all the way back through those, but teaching, reproof, correction, training, and righteousness. I truly want you to not so much memorize that, but get that ingrained into your mind so that every time you're having a devotion, every time that you're in God's Word, you can say, okay, is He training me? Is He giving me doctrine here? Is He giving me reproof? Is He correcting me, turning on the light to my own natural darkness? All those things that we discovered. Then last week, we began to look in God's Word, and we said, okay, we can trust God's Word, and that there's really two great life truths that comes out in God's Word. The truth about ourselves and the truth about God. If you didn't get anything else out of the last week, I hope that you got that, that the Bible is always going to tell us two main truths, the truth about ourselves and our truth about God. Because whether you start in Genesis, whether you kind of go to the New Testament, whether you end here, wherever, you're always going to get from God's word this truth, a reflection of who you really are and who God really is. Because, see, sometimes if we just look at ourselves, or if we look at others, we get a bad reflection of that. Have you ever thought more highly of yourself than, than maybe someone else did? Or maybe more, we just sang a song about, you know, here's who I really am. I'm not this person. And yet Satan's out there. And sometimes our own uh, spirit will tell us, you know, I'm defeated. I'm an orphan. When God's word said that if we put our trust and our faith in Jesus Christ and his redemptive work, then we are the child of the living God. That we're the child of the king. And so we need that truth in our own lives of the truth about ourselves and the truth about God. And yet we live in a world where there's all kinds of versions of truth. Have you ever heard of Wikipedia? Okay, it's got the online, the free online encyclopedia. And I know we have a lot of teachers in here. Do you allow your students to use Wikipedia as a source for substantial truth? And I I see a lot of people going, no. Now, you know why? They have, it's amazing how much information they have. They have almost 5 million articles about anything and everything. 
But by their own admission, look what, if you go to the, the home page and you look, it says, and you may not be able to read that, the free encyclopedia that anyone can edit. Did you know that you can actually go into Wikipedia if you sign in? Because you have to sign in. They trace your IP address, so don't go home and try to change all kinds of different things. They will find you out. But it's one of those things you can go in there and you can edit. You can say, I just disagree with that. I don't think that God created the world. I think this happened. And so I could go in there and edit that and say, okay, I believe in this evolutionary process or something like that. And they can go in there and edit it. Now, that doesn't mean that the other editors won't come back and correct that, but they may not. Do you really trust the source that's going to be there that's open to opinion? Just in the same way that we're saying, how many countries are in the world? 195 or 196? Well, it begins and kind of ends with your political persuasion. Folks, that's the world that we're in, our children are growing up in. And yet God has said, oh, don't be faint of heart. God has said, you don't have to worry because I will give you truth. And so this morning we begin to uh, go to God's word and we begin to see that God has given us reliable truth. Because even people like Wikipedia that may have a lot of information, listen to their, not only do they say that anyone can edit, but listen to the disclosure that Wikipedia makes. If you go there and say, okay, is this all true? Here's their own words on their own reliability. They said, it is in the nature of an ever-changing work like Wikipedia that, while some articles of the, are the highest quality of scholarship, others are admittedly complete rubbish. Now, th- this is their own words. We are fully aware of what it is and what it isn't. Also, because some articles may contain errors, listen to this, Please do not use Wikipedia to make critical decisions. They're going, we, we realize that people are out there kind of adding their information. We realize that not everything that's on here is going to be just gospel truth. Well, folks, that's not just Wikipedia. That is the world that we live in. Is there a place for your children, your grandchildren, and, and for us to get rock-solid truth? Yes, the Word of God. It will always steer us in that right direction. And even though those five million articles are there on Wikipedia, you know, God has put in his word everything that we need to know about ourselves and everything that we need to know about God so that we can have redemptive life. And that's where discernment comes in. So if you're in your Bibles, Genesis chapter 3, great lesson this morning on uh, how to discern truth. And we go all the way back to the very beginning. Adam and Eve kind of set the story up. God's created Adam and Eve. He's created everything good. He said it is the only thing that he said so far that is not good is that it was not good for man to be alone. And he creates Eve. And so now we have Adam and Eve in the garden. And it's just this blissful, peaceful, loving, joyful place. God comes, visits them in the cool of the evening. They have fellowship with God. All these things are happening. And then look what happens in Genesis chapter 3, verse 1. Genesis 3, 1. Now the serpent was more crafty than any other beast of the field that the Lord God had made. He said to the woman, Did God actually say that you shall not eat from the tree of the garden? Just in case you're unfamiliar with the story, you have Adam and Eve. God has created them. He's put them in this place called the Garden of Eden. It is a beautiful place. And he has told them back in chapter 2, he said, you can eat from any tree that you want to. And we don't know how many trees there were. I imagine that there were more than a thousand. Uh, There could have been more than a million. He, He said, you can eat from any tree that you want to, except for one. In the middle of the garden, there's one, and I don't want you to eat from that. 
chapter 2, verse 17, 16, 17, you, you find this. And, and so here comes the serpent along. And there's been all kinds of theological, who is the serpent? I, I do believe, because it was the testimony of Paul and John the Revelator that came back and, and gave testimony that this is Satan. And so Satan comes and begins to tempt Eve. And what is the first lie, what is the first temptation that Satan gets Eve, or tries to get Eve, to buy into? To doubt what God said. Did God actually say? The first temptation that comes along. The intent is to get us to doubt God's word. Folks, because we are fallen people in a fallen world, there is a part of us that when we read even the word of God and the truth of God's word, that sometimes we're going, you know, I know that's true, but at the same time, I don't know that I agree with it. Well, back here in the very beginning, God had given the blessings to Adam and Eve, and yet we see the serpent, Satan, come along and trying to plant this seed of the first question about God. Is God's word true? I mean, have you ever heard somebody said, you know, well, my God wouldn't, or my God this, and then they filled out something that you know didn't line up with Scripture. It didn't line up with biblical truth. And yet in their own mind, they said, okay, here's what my God, or here's what I believe in my version of the Bible. Folks, there's a lot of different translations of the Bible, but, you know, if it's coming from the original, that truth is God's truth. And God has not given you and I the ability or, or the, uh, uh, the opportunity to go in there and edit it like Wikipedia and say, well, you know, I think I'm going to change the whole definition of marriage. I think I'm going to change the whole definition of this or that. God hasn't left that up to us. Can we do it? Yes, but we'll be in rebellion just as the seed was planted there in Eve's heart and mind. I think that this is really the foundational life choice that your children and grandchildren are going to face. What do we believe as foundational truth? Do we really hold God's word? And even the things that we agree with, the things that we don't understand, the things that even we kind of disagree with, do we still hold that to be biblical truth? Will it be a compass for our lives? Will it be really a a ruler that we can measure everything in life by? It's a foundational question that's there. Because if we believe this one, guess what? We have just opened ourselves up to believe every other lie that comes along. There has to be a standard of truth. And the standard of truth that God has given us is his word. And so Satan, what does he do here? He tries to plant doubt. And look how Eve responds. When you read the next verse, at first it sounds like she's kind of going to contradict the serpent. Verse 2. And the woman said to the sermon, a serpent, we may eat of the fruit of the trees in the garden. Okay, so far, so good. That kind of lines up with chapter 2 and what God actually said. But look at the end of it. Verse 3. But God said, you shall not eat of the fruit of the tree that is in the midst of the garden, neither shall you touch it, lest you die. Anybody see something wrong with Eve's response there? She did a little editing. If you go back to chapter 2, verse 16 and 17, she, she added. Anybody notice what she added? You can't even touch it. No, God just says don't eat from it. She goes, well, you know, we can't eat from it. We can't touch from it. All of a sudden you get this, start this, get this feeling that Eve's going, okay, you know, there's a lot of restrictions in this garden. And, and God is, you know, he, he's really kind of not, you know, he's not really this fun God because even though we have a million trees we can eat from, there's this one that we can't. We can't even touch it. You almost get the feeling that since the seed of doubt has been planted, that her mind starts to, to kind of go with that a little bit. 
it seems to be kind of a minor point, but, but at the same time when you begin to extrapolate that out, you begin to say, okay, how many times have I heard the word of God and, and yet I kind of add to or take away from? Look at verse 4, Genesis 3, 4. But the serpent said to the woman, you will surely not die. You will not surely die. She said, you know, if we do this, we're going to die. And what is the lie of Satan back? To doubt God's word. You're not going to die. Surely you're not going to die. How many times, uh, you don't have to give us the sin or you don't have to give us the exact situation. How many times in your life has Satan switched the, the price tags on you? He said, okay, this is what it's going to cost you. It's just going to cost you this, Jeff. And then you kind of believe that lie, you kind of follow out, and all of a sudden he added a whole bunch of zeros at the end of that price tag. Man, I didn't know this was going to cost my marriage. I didn't know this was going to cost you know, my job. I didn't know it was going to cost this. Satan is the great deceiver. As we were looking last week in John chapter 8, if we read down a little bit more, it says, Jesus said, look, your, your father is a liar. He's talking about Satan. He said everything that he does, everything that he says is a lie. And yet we see this lie right here. And he gets Eve to try to discount God's word. But there's a second thing, that, a lie that goes on. And the second lie is found in the next verse in verse 5. And that lie is, you can be like God. Now, I never want to take away from the fact that you and I have been made in the image of God. It's a blessing. We are the image bearers of, of creator God. But one thing that the word of God makes sure, we are not God. We will never be God. We're made in the image of God. We're image bearers of God, but we're not going to be like God. But look at verse 5. For God knows that when you eat of it, your eyes will be opened and you will be like God, knowing good and evil. God has us, you know, very much. He's creator. He is Lord over things. We just sang all those songs that talked about where God is and where we are. And God doesn't put us in this place because he wants us to feel bad about who we are. No, we are the children of the living God if we put our faith and trust in Jesus Christ. He has adopted us. We are no longer orphans, but we are the children of God. At the same time, we are not God. And yet, look at the lie. He says, you you go ahead and do this. The reason why God doesn't want you to eat from this tree, because if you do, you're actually going to be like God. And all of a sudden, that question mark, that doubt is placed into the mind of of Eve. But there's something that you may not really kind of uh, see right at first. Look at verse 8. Do you notice anything about the reference of God in verse 5 and the reference to God in verse 8? Look at verse 5 and then look at the reference of God in verse 8. Do you notice anything different? Anybody? Anybody? In verse 5, how does it name God? How does it refer to God? Okay, God. In verse 8, what do we see? Lord God. If you went back to chapter 2, just turn your page if you, if you have to go back a page. Look at chapter 2. How is God referred to all throughout chapter 2? Lord God. Okay, how is he referred to in chapter 4? Lord God. But in this five verses, when Satan is talking to to Eve about God, you don't see this word Lord. Now, now what's the significance of that? Is that just kind of being picky? No. The Lord, what that, Yahweh, have you ever heard that? The personal name of God? Yahweh, that's what the Lord God. God is Elohim. It's creator God, majesty God, creator over all things God. 
But this personal nature of God, Lord God, Yahweh, Satan just drops that from the title. And Eve responds in like. All of a sudden, all of chapter 2, Lord God. He is a personal God. He is creator God. Chapter 4, he is a personal God. He is Lord God. But in this exchange, Satan begins to just say, well, he's kind of God. But he's a God that you can be like. Folks, it's a lie. And every day we see people buying that. And I promise you, this is not to put fright in our ears, because we are, in our minds, because we're not to be the people that have a spirit of fear, but a spirit of power because of the spirit of God. We have the word of God. But I promise you, left to the culture and left to the world for that understanding, folks, your children will grow up maybe thinking that God is a God, but that he's not Yahweh, that he's not personal. That we can have a personal relationship with him through Jesus Christ. That's what's at stake here. I mean, you begin to look at these little nuances. It, I mean, at first you think Eve just said, hey, wait, you didn't call God by his full name. No, she just kind of follows the path. Folks, that's how slippery it is. That's how, that's how dangerous this is to live in a world where we do not use God's word as the foundation of all the truth of our lives. But there's a third lie there. The third line is that your eyes will be opened knowing good and evil. The intent there is to doubt God's love. Doubt God's word, doubt who God is, and to doubt his love. Satan loves to undermine the authority of God. He loves to, for us to question the heart of God. And yet, I don't know that there's a believer here. I've had my battles. I've had those days when I said, God, you know... Man, you must not be a loving God, but why did you allow this to happen? Have you, honestly, have you ever had those times? And, and what was it? Was it just that your heart began to warm up after a couple of days, that all of a sudden you had this warm, fuzzy feeling about God? Or was it God's truth that brought you back to reality? You go back into the Psalms, and you see the Psalms, especially a lot of the Psalms of David, and man, you read the first part of that Psalm, and he has wasted, guys. He is, God, will you ever talk to me again? God, will you ever hear my voice again? Will I ever see you again? God is distant. But you go through all the rest of that psalm and you begin to see, but I will remember back. I will remember the truth. And God, you're not a God who is distant. You're a God who is right here. Folks, our children are growing up in a world where these three things will be questioned. The Word of God the heart of God, the intent of God, who God really is. And God has, you know, in here, he almost makes it seem like God has this dirty little secret that he just doesn't want to let us in on. That's what Satan is trying to purvey into the heart and the mind of Eve. Now, what happens? Look at verse 6. So when the woman saw her eyes, physical eyes, saw that the heart was good for food, and that it was a delight to the eyes, and that the tree was to be desired to make one wise, she took of its fruit and ate, and she also gave some to her husband who was with her, and he ate. Now, that's a whole other sermon. You know, why do we always blame Adam when Eve is the one that ate it? Theologically, there's a whole other sermon there, and I promise you, he had abdicated his role of being the leader in the home. God is the one that told him, make sure your wife doesn't do this. And he's right there, and yet he's not saying stop. Okay, he's fallen for this too. A whole other sermon we'll get into another day. But here's the consequences. She takes this fruit, she bites of it, and it's what we call theologically the fall. Sin enters the world. 
and, and there's a break between the fellowship that God had with man and man had with God because of this sin. Folks, here's the consequences of when we believe the lies of Satan. Number one, what we see here is that when we begin to do that, they begin to feel shame. Verse 7 says that they noticed that they were naked. Before, they didn't notice that. They walked around in their birthday suits, you know, but never noticed it. It was not that God created. It was a perfection. There was a joy there. There was great joy in husband and wife. And yet now, the minute that sin comes in the world, all of a sudden, their mind, is distorted. Not the word of God, but their mind and their heart is distorted. They go, man, I'm naked. They go to the tree and they start to get leaves. They start to try to cover up. But there's something else that happens. Look at verse 8. It says that they begin to not only hide themselves, but most importantly, they begin to hide from God. One of the consequences of believing these lies is that it creates a shame in our life. And if we kind of go with that, we will begin to hide with God. oftentimes I will refer to, hey, this is one of the saddest verses of the Bible. Folks, I promise you, Genesis 3.8, you can put a star out there, one of the saddest verses in the whole Bible. Because look what it says. Here they had communion with God. Here they were walking with God. Here he would visit them in the cool of the evening. Now look what it says in verse 8. And they heard the sound of the Lord God walking in the garden in the cool of the day. And the man and his wife hid themselves from the presence of the Lord God among the trees of the garden. Do you think that had ever happened before? I mean, when it was the cool of the day and God was going to come in this presence, we don't know all the details of how that happened, if they had supper every night. We don't know. But God's presence would come and they were attracted. You can imagine that they were having joy in that. It's kind of like us approaching worship. Man, we're just going to worship God. We're going to kind of entertain that, that we're going to be in the very presence of God in His truth and His spirit. And yet what we find here is that because of this disobedience and believing this lie in their lives, what does it cause? Shame and distance. They're hiding. And all of a sudden they want to hide. Why? Because they realize sin in their life and and the holiness of God. Look at verse 10. It says that they were afraid. Instead of anticipating time with God, now they feared time with God. Sin had brought a fear that they had never experienced before. See, that's where our lives end up. Distance, shame, fear, drawing away from God rather than toward God. The two things that they would begin to question at that point because of sin is is who they are and who God is. Well, if you go on and read the rest of the story, God already shows us a, a vision of the gospel later on in that chapter. Already he says that there's going to be one who will be born that is going to take this serpent and put him underfoot. There's going to be one who's going to come that's going to be the Redeemer. So the the rest of the story ends up pretty good. But here's the lesson for today. For every parent, for every grandparent, here's where to take note. Here's your application. Your children, without doubt, have access by their own fingertips, at their own fingertips, more information than you could ever imagine. Some of that information is true and would line up with God's word. A lot of that information will not line up with God's word. And while your children are young, it is your parental responsibility. It is you as grandparents of people of influence that will say, okay, here, we're going to help you to discern this truth. 
We're going to teach you that God's word exists and that it is true and that it will remain true no matter what the culture would say. But folks, I, I, I want you to know this. You're going to be swimming upstream. The flow and the current of culture is not going in such a way that you can kind of just jump in the river and say, okay, you know, we're going to float down like you did in Helen the other day. It's not going to be like that. It, it truly it is, in a way, it's kind of scary because you're going to be swimming upstream and, and fighting that current, and sometimes it's going to seem with all the, the effort that you exercise that you're not getting anywhere. One of the most heartbreaking days that many of you will ever have as parents is when your kids come home from school, whether they are young or a little bit older, and say, Mom, I, I just don't really know that I believe that whole thing about God anymore. I don't know that I, I believe that whole thing about Jesus. I don't believe that, that he really died for me. And they begin to question some of the foundational truths of the gospel. That will be a heart-wrecking day, guys. But I want you to know, have no fear. Take faith. Teach them, show them the beauty of God's word. And teach them that even though they may be questioning at this moment, begin to take them through the scripture and just show them the beauty of the gospel. Show them the beauty of all that God has said. Look at what God does. And, and just to show you the heart of God, look at verse 11. In, in verse 9, he asks the question, where are you? To Adam and Eve. Now, how many of y'all think that God didn't have a clue of where they were? That they were so good at hide and seek that God is going, man, where, where are you guys? Look, look at verse 11. He asks another question. Who told you that you were naked? Do you think God knew the answer to that question? then why is he asking those questions? Where are they at? Well, who told you? He wants to reveal back the truth about themselves and the truth about him. Every parent, every grandparent, the two greatest truths that I believe that you can teach your your children, your grandchildren, the truth about themselves, how we come into this world, we were born of sin, and we're in need of a Savior, a Redeemer. And the good news is that God so loved this world that he gave his son. And that those who put faith and trust in that finished work of Christ, that we will become the very children of God. The greatest truth that you ever teach your kids. Yes, you can teach them morality. You can teach them how to treat other people. All those things are important. But the two greatest truths that you can teach them come from the word of God. What is the truth about themselves and their need? And what is the truth about this God? Is he really a stingy God that says, okay, you can do this, but you can't do that? Folks, when you look at the commandments from that viewpoint, you look at, man, we can't have any fun. Look at these ten things we're not allowed to do. And you see them as keeping us from fun rather than a protection that God has given us so that we won't break our lives and break our hearts and the hearts and lives of others. We need to know two greatest truths you'll ever teach your kids come from the Word of God. What is the truth about themselves and their need? And what is the truth about a God who has met that need through his son, Jesus Christ? Let's pray together today. Father God, we love you and we thank you. And Father, today as we come, Father, what a responsibility to to parent. And it's always been that way. And yet, Father, today we do feel like almost we get there and it's almost like there's two strikes against us. And, And Father, whether... 
They are getting this from a culture. They're getting from information from the Internet. They're getting information from this place. Father, even when we homeschool, when we try to, to put some, some guidelines there and really immerse our children into truth, Father, sometimes it just seems like we're fighting a losing battle. But, Father, today will you give us heart? Father, will you, will you give us encouragement through your spirit and through the truth of your word? Father, you said that your word will last forever. There is no lie of Satan that could ever make it become untrue. Father, you told us in Hebrews that, that, that it's impossible for you to lie, that we can always trust you. And so, Father, today, as we have this time of family worship, as we look back and we teach our kids how to discern truth, Father, will you help us really put these things deep into our heart and mind, that, Father, that we will always immerse our children in biblical truth. Not just so that we can get a list of moral code, do's and don'ts. Father, that's important that you, you put it there for a reason. But Father, I believe that there's even a greater truth. Father, we see in the New Testament that all those commands were given so that we would know the truth about ourselves. And Father, as we realize that truth about ourselves, that we could realize the truth about you in the gift of your Son. Father, we love you today. And Father, we want to lift up our children and our grandchildren. And Father, I pray that they would see moms and dads, grandpas and grandmothers that immerse their life in biblical truth, even when their faith, their own faith, is kind of short or tired or worn out. Even those those times that, that we would wonder or question the very purpose of God, that we would trust your sovereignty, God, because you are always sovereign. You are always good. And Father, you you just personalize that in the gift of your Son. Perfect in every way, but would die in our place. So Father, today, help us to to give that foundational rock bed truth to our children and the generations to come. May they one day say, you know, I, I had my doubts, but Granddaddy taught me this. My mom or my dad, they taught me this. And I was able to find truth in the midst of a culture of lies. We love you, Father. Lead us to the altar now. Let us pray for our kids, Father. Help us to bring them to the altar in a physical way, a spiritual way, even this day, and just surround them with the love and the care that you've given us. But more than that, Father, even your truth. We pray this in Christ's name. Amen. Thank you for listening today. We hope this message was a blessing to you. To learn more about our church or our media ministry, you can visit us online at www.corner-stone.org or find us on Facebook.